1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah Heath, and our other host is Justin Gentry. And today we are excited to introduce to you Scott Okamoto. And we might not be introducing him to you. You might already know his work. Um, he's a great podcaster. He's got a podcast called Chapel Probation and a new book that just came out. His book is called Asian American Apostate, and it is amazing. It's also the, the subtitle to it is Losing Religion and Finding Myself at an evangelical university. So make sure you stick around for the conversation and stick around for the quote at the end. And also, may I invite you to stick around to hear perhaps one of the funniest Amazon reviews I've heard in a long time. This conversation goes everywhere from what it feels like to go to a school that requires you to go to chapel, what it feels like to feel outside of uh, the general population, and then what it feels like when others don't want to talk about the importance of what it means to uh, really lean into your identity. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'm so grateful that Scott joined us. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm just going to give the disclaimer that I am still sick. And so if you're like, who's that voice? This is Sarah Heath and my co-host, Justin Gentry. And we are so excited today to have Scott Okamoto. And if you don't know him yet, he is going to become one of your favorites, I think, of all time. He just released a book. Justin was actually in town to be at the book release. And we're, we've already told you a lot about Scott in the intro. But Scott, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into chapel probation? And a little bit of like, normally we ask like, how long did you serve in ministry? But how long were you a professor at a Christian university. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. This is really great. I'm a big fan of y'all. So I, I was a professor at uh, Azusa Pacific University for 15 years. Started out as an adjunct though, and kind of, and I didn't think I was going to stay there. I thought I'll teach a couple classes and, and I was teaching also at community college. I kind of wanted to work there. They paid better. The students did not make me want to end my life. And so it was like, <laughs> But they just kept promoting me. Uh, I kept getting more classes and then they, would, they gave me a year long contract and then they, they hired me full time. And so and it was around the time I got hired full time that I realized I don't think I believe in any Christianity anymore. <laughs> um, Which is slightly problematic when working so at APU. It was and it wasn't because because I grew up in it. So I grew up Christian, evangelical, all that stuff. I still knew how to speak it. I still knew how to teach. And, it, you know, it's an accredited school. So I, I was just teaching English for the most part. And then the faith integration com component of the class was easy because, you know, there's a lot of ways to read the Bible. Because the Bible was first written in English. Just yeah, kidding. The, That's a joke, old, guys. That's not King true, James. guys. Yeah. The original King <laughs> James. The original King is, James. Uh, yeah. Doesn't the King James, do you think Yoda ripped off King James? Because I feel like the, the diction of, and syntax of King James is kind of Yoda-ish. Oh, yeah. So that's I, just the thought. For sure. Yeah. Or did the King James ripped off Yoda? That's true, because Yoda's like Super hundreds old. of years old. Yeah, so. yeah, Yoda is older than the King James. Yeah, we'll have to, I'm going to Wikipedia that later. Uh, we'll <laughs> Sorry, I did, we that. did not yeah. mean to distract you. This is this is what happens, No, I you distract know? myself, so... Um, <laughs> So to answer your question, 15 years at Azusa specific. Sorry, what was the other part? Uh, oh, chapel probation. Uh, yeah. the, the, so I started to write this book when I was still working there. And it was originally going to be, I, I didn't even say this at the book launch this past weekend. Originally, I started writing it as sort of a, a how to navigate differences and how evangelical colleges could actually be good. <laughs> and then what? Shortly after I started writing it, it was clear they were going to fire me. And so 
then the book took a turn into a pretty much like a nastier direction. And it was just a like take down this place. And then that's no fun. No one wants to read just about negative things. And so the third version of the book, which I pretty much wrote all of last year, was a combination of like deconstruction and the adventure of teaching there for 15 years. And <laughs> there was a lot. And then also developing myself as a as a human being outside of Christianity and as an Asian American outside of Christianity. And so, yeah, that's that's where it en- ended up. And I have to admit to having to ask you guys what chapel probation is, because I, I went to a uh, state school for undergrad. And then for graduate school, I went to a seminary that was not not affiliated. So. So it was affiliated. I mean, Duke is, but it is also not a religious. I mean, not a very accredited school of any kind. Yeah, it's just like a little. You get like a certificate at the end. Even in grad school, I wasn't required to have to. um, Yeah, I wasn't required. They may require you to go to the basketball games, though. They do, which is also going to chapel, I guess. Yeah, if we're on kind of church. So yeah, Yeah, so I started the chapel probation based on. Yeah, I had. I would have had to write like a 2000 page book to get all the stories in. So wanted to do a podcast. So this, I, I kept in touch with, you know, dozens of former students and students I worked with faculty and let them tell their own stories. So I didn't have to write it in the book. And so, oh, and to answer your question, chapel probation for, if you're listening and you don't know what chapel probation is like Sarah about five minutes ago, first of all, you're fortunate. You don't have, <laughs> To carry that weight. So at these Christian schools, you're required to go to college and there's usually chapel either twice a week or three times a week. Some like Bob Jones had chapel like every day. Mine was three times a week, three times a week. And it was required. Mm-hmm. And so if you miss more than the allotted amount, they put you on chapel probation, which can mean having to make up, watch videos, listen to tapes, write something. In some cases, they fine you. It's, it's like a gen, it's a revenue generator. So yeah, it's it's one of those inside joke there, things. There was some debate when I went to Indiana Wesleyan University as to whether they could actually withhold your degree yeah. based on chapel skips. I, I don't know that anyone truly made the attempt to test that, but there was just some kind of like legal debate. Like this isn't yeah. like can you? They actually keep you from graduating if that's the only thing wrong. I don't. I don't. I know, because it's not part of the academics, right? Yeah. It's not, Wait, what, what was the answer? I, I don't know that we... It was one of those things, like, I, it was like a rumor like that went around, like a, like an urban yeah. legend or something at the school. Like, maybe legally they like, can't actually take your degree away, but there wasn't yeah. anyone that was like, I'm going to not go to chapel my entire yeah. senior year and just see. You don't want to be the one to test it. Yeah. At APU, they... You could still get your degree, but they wouldn't give you your actual diploma until you had cleared your chapel probation. Uh, probably so you, probably because they had fines. That's how they got around it, I think. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like if you had vandalized the school or something and fine, yeah. you get So there, there are students who graduate and don't have a, a hard copy of their diploma because they were just like, screw it. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I can't imagine the complexity of, I remember, um, like, so I read your book like a description of it, because it, it sounded so fascinating. And part of it is there were so many layers to your identity within. So chapel probation is obviously a chun and cheek way of saying, like, I didn't fit in. But you didn't fit yeah. in because your faith had shifted. But also you're dealing with a evangelical setting, which often requires Asian Americans to be a certain way. And then you add to that that you're a professor without a doctorate, but also you're a professor. So you've got all these layers of sort of feeling a little bit outside of the box. And you shared earlier that you would sit outside in the door and listen to people teach and then sort of reflect and try to use some of the skills they they taught with, which almost sounded like a pastor. So do you feel like a lot of what you were doing was, and I uh, excuse the terminology, but passing? Right. So like I'm passing as a Christian, like I'm Christian enough to keep my job here. I am, you know, or Christian adjacent. I am, you know, evangelical whiteness enough in that at least I know what it is and I grew up around it. Do you feel like there was that there was a sense of I'm academic and I really care about this stuff, but I might not be, you know, double PhD or whatever it is that 
folks get. Like, I'm just wondering if that sort of was one of the things was just this overall feeling of, I need to figure out how to not be alone. And and only I can only do that if I'm telling my truth. Yeah. So growing up evangelical, I think everyone has to appear a certain way and, and, and perform a certain kind of culture, right? We have, we have our language, we have our, our lingo, we have our rituals and we have our do's and don'ts. And so these are all things that we all kind of grow up with. And then being not of majority culture, I always understood that I was not the center of the room. You know, I'm there. I'm never going to be the head pastor. I'm never going to be the worship leader. Even I could be on the team. I could play guitar. I was never going to be the face or the identity of the, the, the culture I was in. And I grew up totally accepting that just accepting my place as a sidekick, as, as a peripheral person, because that fits with Christianity too, where you t- to deny yourself, you know, don't have any pride and don't have, you know, don't Ooh, what a great up. point. Yeah. And so all of that wasn't so bad. <laughs> and as far as the academics, you know, the school, most of the past, the pastors, oops, uh, most of the professors kind of wish they were pastors. Yeah. They're, they're teaching Sunday school more than they're teaching, you know, economics or math or English. So yeah, I, one day I, I write about this in my book. I had a, I had two classes in the morning, but there was like an hour in between where I didn't have a class. And so I was just sitting out in the hallway of this long hallway of, you know, maybe 10 or 12 classrooms and about half the doors were open. And so I just, I heard a booming voice coming out of one of these doors and I just sort of sat down against the wall next to the door and listened. I'm like, this, this person's fired up. Like, what are they talking about? And it was this fiery sermon about like, I don't know, your lifestyle and depravity and sin and and it ended up being like an economics class. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> that was the most exciting economics class that has ever happened. Right? Ever. And I don't think you know, that, the only reason I knew that was because there was a mention at some point about the economy or something. But the person was a would be pastor. You know, this did not sound like an academic discussion. It sounded like fire and brimstone, you know, and I was like, wow. I, I, first of all, I don't do this. So, man, am am I supposed to be doing this at this school? And then, so I looked down the hall and there's like several more doors open. So I spent the hour just sort of sitting for a few minutes, listening to each door. And there were some normal classes. There were some normal professors just talking about whatever they're talking about. But I would say like half had this sort of affectation of like this fiery pastor. Which is fascinating, right? Because it's mimicking, it's mimicking a style and a thing as well, right? So it's like, I think about like, how many pastors do I know? Especially for me, I'm with I'm from the mainline denomination, so we have a bit of a different thing. But so many of them would rather be professors, and this yeah. is a way that they could have been a professor within. Um, yeah. Like I've heard sermons that like mirror a college lecture. In fact, there is a phenomenal teacher within my denomination who really is a like pastor and weekly gives sermons. But every time I ask people, "What do you think of that sermon that he just gave?" there, I was like, "Well, it was a really good." lesson. I don't really feel inspired, but I do feel like I know more. And I think there is sort of this, like, we're all trying to figure out who we're supposed to be, especially like you say, if you've always thought of yourself as the sidekick, that's a hard identity to figure out. Yeah. But being a teacher, being a professor definitely, you know, gave me a little more cred, especially with the students, Um, maybe not with my my colleagues, all of them. But yeah, the the funny thing about the pastor stuff was that's what the students responded to. You know, the the pa- the professors at schools like this are really just employees, you know, mm. like, like at the Walmart. Students are the paying customers. Mm-hmm. The paying customers fill out an evaluation at the end of each semester. So <laughs> to use like a term like evolution, like if, if you come out of your PhD program and you start teaching at one of these places and you're trying to be a professor, you're going to get crucified because the students want to be entertained they want to be challenged they want they want to make be made to feel guilty for, for their sin you know th- this is what they come to a school like this for because it approximates a church experience That's and so i'm thinking some of these professors yeah. probably started out as academic or trying to be and realized whoa i'm getting really bad uh, evaluations and you know can i get an amen and then so oh and then they're going up and now if, if i if I bring a parable into my math class or, or whatever I'm teaching, oh, I'm getting better. And, and oh, I'm, I can make that, I can do, use my, you know, dad joke Christian humor. And 
it's suddenly you've evolved into this sort of hybrid pastor, like not even a good pastor, like a youth pastor. That's yeah. what it sounded like to me. Yeah. So that's, not yeah. even a good pastor. And that's, I think maybe. Yeah. That's, well, that's interesting to me because like, that's like, let's just, let's just peel back the curtain and show how the sausage is made in a lot of evangelical churches too. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, in many spaces, the pastor is also the employee, just like at the Walmart, and they also get evaluations done of them. You know, sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's not maybe an evaluation, but it is the offering plate, and they will also mimic a style that is desired by their congregation, and it's it's this very interesting like tail wagging the dog thing where the congregation is like we want a pastor that speaks the truth that challenges us that you know yeah it makes us feel guilty for sin but like but in a way that we like yeah <laughs> and i think it's funny because it's entertaining yeah entertaining relatable like and it's actually funny like i pastors that are my age which is you know like you know late 30s early 40s I feel like all of us had like a Rob Bell phase where we were trying to mimic that style for a while. And then there was oh. like a, some of us like had a Pete Rollins phase where we're trying to mimic that style. You know, it's like it's, so it's just like it, I feel like these different eras and these different pastors and some some dudes had their Mark Driscoll phase and never left. And and so it's it's and, but that's what people are listening to. And that's what people are after. And that's what you get evaluated on. So I feel like there's there's some interesting parallels there. And the like, the person in front needs to be what I think a pastor should be, whatever the setting is, whether it's church, whether it's classroom, whatever. That's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I think. So sure. now let's get into the spicy, because okay. yeah, spicy we all know uh, Rob got kicked out of the things. A lot of people that we're talking about got kicked out of things. Scott, you were no longer a professor at APU. How did that happen? Was it just a moment where you're like, I'm going to take that job at Princeton? Like what, what made you decide yeah. to, um, I'm going to become a full-time actor. Um, I am going to like, what made you uh, switch? What are you doing now? Like share a little bit about yeah. like kind of, yeah. There's, there's no pipeline between evangelical schools in Princeton. So that's, that's <laughs> I mean, I was there's, just, there, there's the other way. There are people who, who went to Ivy leagues for like undergrad or grad and end up at these schools, but it doesn't go, it's a one-way street. So <laughs> <laughs> You don't you don't get a job in in any respectable place after you've been teaching at these places. <laughs> it's very if it and I'm I'm probably wrong. There's probably one or two people out there who are like, no, I went to Stanford after. Nah, I can't think of any like even like a state school. Like, no, nah, it's it's tough. Uh, so from day one at APU, I was in trouble. So, like every semester, being hauled into my chair department chairperson. You said this, or you uh, students complained about this, or it's usually like, um, okay. In the book, I talk about. I do you guys use four letter words on this podcast? Oh yes, uh, all the words. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I mean, I have we Justin not yet? Does, but, this yeah. smells odd. I've been well, yeah. I've been trying to like feel it out. So Scott, you know what? It's like we said the word chapel at the start, <laughs> so we are on our best behavior. It's true. So I, when I was in community college, I I was trying to teach parts of speech to this very low level composition class because none of them knew what a verb or noun was and they weren't getting it and this one kid blurted out you know like english is fucked and so i was like yeah um it is true and you know let's talk about so i use the f word in all the parts of speech so <laughs> english is fucked is kind of an adjective or you know, adverbial or ad adjective phrase so and i and I explained how, you know, you can say fucked or fucking, or um, it can be a, it can be a, a noun, you know, a fuck, or you can fuck something or you can, you know, so I, I'm running all this on this antiquated chalkboard, praying nobody walks in. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I love this bulb, moment. I'm seeing the light bulb go on and like students are like nodding and writing this down and like, oh, and someone said like, I get adjectives now. Thank you. <laughs> so I brought, I, I should have known better, but. My first semester teaching at APU, someone asked a question about parts of speech. So I went into my fuck lesson and. So I went into my fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that didn't. That sounded way more fun than it, than it, <laughs> than it was. actually um, was. It was. I mean, you, there you were teaching about lifestyle. You didn't even know you were giving a sermon, right? Hmm. I'm Quick little fun that. side story. I had one of my students when I was a campus pastor read the Bible, and there is a little part that says he was bucked. Uh, he bucked and was bucked, and he said while reading, and he kept going. He was fucked. He he fucked and was he fucked. fucked and was fucked. And he kept reading. And everyone in the room is just staring at him and he has no idea that he's read it the wrong way. And he like feels the room looking at him and he looks up from the Bible and goes, I did not read Bucked, did I? And everyone was like, <laughs> no, no, you did not. And we laughed for so long. So maybe he was in your class is all I'm saying. So you're, bl- you're blaming me for, for that. Uh, <laughs> Actually, no, that was such a beautiful moment. I would have thanked you for it. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day I get, you know, my, my chairperson, and I'm new, you know, and the chairperson was this old guy about to retire and he was very supportive and he's like, sits me down in his office and he's, he's, yeah, some parents called and, you know, six of your students reported to the school profanity. So I just want to hear your side of this. And I explained to him and he's like, that's really great, but you can't do that here. It's like, yeah, I figured from, from the, from the scandalized faces in the room, I, I, I could tell that. I just wish I was in the well. room to watch your face yeah. process. Like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to start teaching this. And you're used to students writing it down. There, yeah. there are students who are like just holding a pencil yeah. midair. There were a lot of like prayers and, and quiet times after that class. I think, <laughs> because yeah. Christian schools attract such an eclectic crowd of people. I mean, all colleges do, but it's, mm-hmm. it, you've got the homeskid, homeskid, goodness gracious, Home, homeschooled, homeschooled yeah. kids that. And, totally and, thought you were going to say home skillets. Home skillets. <laughs> little home skillets because we're relatable to the youth yeah and that maybe have not been in a classroom ever like and had a few of those yeah to people that maybe have gotten kicked out of a state school and their parents are like let's let's send them to the christian place to reform them yeah they were always the fun ones yeah honestly yes the best truly (laughs) but so it's just this odd like mismatch of of people that some people would listen to the lecture and be like, yeah, I totally get adverbs now. And other ones are like, I, I this is the abomination that yeah. causes desolation. No. Satan is my English professor. Yes. Yeah. That's their memoir yeah. that they're writing. Right Satan now. is my yeah. English professor. I would, I'd read that. Yeah. yeah I just Probably. think there was the people I went to grad school with that had come from these like pretty conservative Christian colleges were so fun, but I think they were the ones that were, Kind of the rebels that were like in your class, it would have been like, oh, hell yeah. Now I know who my favorite professor is (laughs) because there was some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they're when they're there, they feel so out. Right. A lot of them went to that. Like when I would talk to my friends, they didn't go to the Christian college necessarily knowing that they'd want to go to grad school uh, to become a pastor. Actually, most of them. It's interesting. The conservative Christian college undergrad. Uh, the pipeline was to get your master's in theology so they could get their PhDs. So a lot of them weren't becoming pastors. But, you know, you would go to there, you'd hear about like the, the shenanigans that they pulled off in college. And it was because their parents were like, yeah, absolutely, we'll pay for college. Here's a list of the yeah. approved colleges. The acceptable colleges. Right. Yeah. And so then they also felt it was interesting coming into a very academic setting for grad school. It's like they felt like they needed to prove themselves because they felt like where they'd gone, but they would have loved you because they would have had a sense of like, oh, I don't have to fake it with this professor. Yeah. 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 Even when I was a Christian, and this is why, to answer your previous question, why I was not long for the school, why I lasted 15 years. But even when I was a Christian, I dropped all pretense of, you know, conservative fundamentalist Christianity. It was, it was a safe space to explore thought and ideas without censoring it. So that got me into all kinds of trouble. They didn't, the school didn't want me talking about racism or, um, well, especially LGBTQIA issues that, that forbidden, which I eventually started to do because I knew I had students who were gay and I knew I had students who were quote unquote struggling and I wanted to be there for them. And so, yeah, everything, everything about what I was teaching for, at first it was fine because I was underground. I was new and I wasn't full time. And so I carved out this little space. But then once I, I started to be more known, beginning of the end was I got voted in to, to speak in chapel. And I should have turned it down. <laughs> but 
<laughs> I spoke in chapel and like brought the house down because I said nice things about gay friends. And I said, and I talked about identity and justice and poetry and all this stuff. And yeah, that was the beginning of the end. So they were going to fire me. And I had, and I write about in the book, they had this big standoff with the Dean. Uh, he brought me in to be fired and I'm really good at arguing because <laughs> I teach argumentation. I argued my way back into the job. <laughs> it, he was going to fire me in five minutes. We had like a 45 minute argument. You counter his firing? Yeah, I oh, did. You're like, I see your point, but. You did. And so I go home and I tell my wife I wasn't fired. I, I uh, talked my way back into the job and she's like, why? <laughs> why would I like you her. ever want to <laughs> go like, back what to is wrong with you? shitty place after everything? So I quit. I quit <laughs> the next morning. I composed an email. <laughs> Wait, yeah, so you kept actually, your job and then you're like, no thanks? Yeah. And after what a after power move. Further thought, like, you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, there was, it was that. So the, he was so mad at me that he might, within five minutes, I was completely erased from the university. I still had the laptop, which I was supposed to return. I still had keys. I, <laughs> I was just completely shut out of the whole system. I don't, it just, wow. I ceased to exist. Within five minutes of sending that, that email. Wow. Oh, wow. What a, uh, do you think it was embarrassment? Yeah, I think he, he probably took it personally, like I was trolling him or something. Cause, because of all the work I'd put into keeping my job. And then the next morning, like, because uh, uh, I wrote a big, long, like five page thing. Because I figured if this is it, this is it. So here's everything I think. <laughs> and, I love that. And, uh, yeah, so didn't did not go over well, which I expected. How yeah. long ago was this? Now this was 2013. So instead of going to Princeton, I became a stay at home dad. Um, my my wife had just purchased the family dental practice, and she was like, "Yeah," and and by that point, I was demoted from full time to part time again because of my work with the LGBTQIA um, underground illegal club that got found out. They took oh. away my full time job, and I was an adjunct again. So I wasn't making any money anymore. So they hardly any. That's a a really cool thing to hear that there was a LGBTQIA community. I there hate, was. Hate that it was underground, but love Completely that it existed. They wanted, and then yeah, they wanted to come out and be an official school organization, and I begged them not to because mm. they were just going to get hammered. But they eventually did, and so uh, uh, Justin, you know Aaron Green, yeah. I think, um, yeah. Who does reap? Yeah, yeah they're so, so great. Yeah, so they were instrumental at schools at, at at APU specifically, but a lot of schools to try and help those kids organize, know their legal rights. But really, there's just no way they could ever be fully accepted and seen as human beings in those yeah. spaces. It's I, just, it's not possible. And that's to me, that's such a tragedy in 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 all any of those spaces. And this this kind of most recently made the news with the Asbury revival too. There were a lot of right. There were a lot of queer kids that were like, hey, maybe this will open people's eyes. And I. They had just fired two professors like when, yeah. in the months before for just supporting their students. Not They weren't even um, queer. They were just supporting their students. Yeah. And, and fired them. And there were staff members at a university. I, this, is, I'm, this is like very breaking. I'm going to probably occlude the university in case it's not. But like, even as, so far as like using pronouns in your work email that folks are getting like reprimanded for like because we don't want any appearance of yeah making any no kind woke. of concession i guess yeah and, and these are and these are evangelical christian schools so it's it's unfortunate particularly if you are someone who's lgbtqia and maybe maybe mom and dad said i'm only going to pay for christian yeah. education yeah, for you which, which did, did uh, happen a lot yeah that there's you're really faced with a choice of like, do I do I be a part of this underground or do I just be quiet because being open truly is not an option. And, and that's yeah, that's all. But thank you also for being being in that. Yeah, thank you. I think that's let's take a break, because when we come back, I would really love to hear after leaving um, a little bit what it's like to know that you left students behind. Because that's something uh, mm. Justin and I talk a lot about yeah. knowing that when you leave because that's the healthiest thing for you to do you uh, have to leave the thing behind that you loved so we'll take a quick break and come back and hear more from scott 
First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. I am really excited to hear. I hope you don't mind. I'd just like to hear, because Scott, it sounds like you were a really good professor. You cared about your students. You particularly cared about your students on the margins. Yeah. And I think for a lot of our listeners, they stuck around even in systems that were toxic, almost as a buffer for folk. Mm-hmm. And when we don't choose to leave a space that we've been a buffer in, when that, when that, when that option is taken from us, it's hard to leave behind. Like I think about the students that for you, for them, sorry, you were a safe space. What was that like? I mean, you're a stay-at-home dad, which sounds great in that moment. You became a stay-at-home dad for a little while, and that sounds like a really awesome experience. Yeah, it was great. However, in some ways, you had been at least a mentor for some of those students. And what was that process like? Because it sounds like they did sort of delete you as quickly as they could. Yeah, it was, it was tough, and it wasn't. So I started the Asian Club back way back in like 2002. And it was always a struggle that if you're Asian American, you don't go to a place like Azusa Pacific to explore your identity. You go there to try and aspire to whiteness. And so me telling them, hey, you know, you're Chinese American. Let's talk about that. Or you're Vietnamese or, you know, it's like, no, they don't want. No, that's not why they're there. And stop bringing it up <laughs> was their attitude. Like you're, you're ruining my gig. You know, I'm, I got white friends. I don't need to talk about all this Asian crap. So. No. The, the, and so the school had, I think it was three to 4% Asians in, in, in the undergrad population of like 2,500. You know, that's a few dozen, at least a few dozen, a um, few hundred people. And the Asian club was never more than like 10 or 12 people. You know, the ones that actually wanted to, to explore it and to talk about it and talk about the crap that they had to deal with, you know, the microaggressions, the racism. Most of the students didn't want to talk about it because they just that was their cross to bear. Uh, I'm here and I, and I have white friends and I'm fine. So leave me alone. So the Asian club was always a tough thing. It kind of peaked in around 2010 where there was some really a great core of people. And there was a kind of a, a, a revolution on campus led by the BIPOC students. So that was great. But then they all graduated. And so by the time I was leaving, the Asian club had pretty much disowned me. <laughs> They were like sick of talking about racism and social justice and identity. They just wanted, if they wanted to, they knew they wanted a space away from the white kids just so they could be and not have to put up with stuff, but they didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to drink boba, play games and just be nice. Be, just have an hour to, to not worry about anything. So I was already kind of, I mean, I still had relationships with a lot of them and there were still some true believers, but yeah, so that club and then the, then the LGBTQ IA club, where, where put all their energy to trying to be an official school, a school-sponsored organization. They were meeting with, you know, administrators and, and staff and getting hammered, too. Some some people got kicked out. Some, you know, it was it, everything that I predicted happened because I told them, don't do this. You're just, we have a good thing going. If, if you stay secret, you control the narrative. You control who comes and talks to us. You control what events we put on the school gets involved you lose all of that and suddenly you're just going to be like defending your existence and, and trying to you know be seen as a as a fully human being and that's kind of what happened thankfully you know reap stepped in after i left and kind of helped out and it got better but i think the whole thing kind of just fell apart i don't think i don't know that there's an active lgbtq club anymore on that campus. So to answer your question, it was tough to leave. I did want to stay and help fight the good fight, but yeah, it was the school, the culture was shifting, heading towards Trump. So it, where it, as it kind of peaked in the, in 2010, you know, it's, we were pushing in a certain direction. The school pushed hard back and kind of killed, they destroyed the entire multi-ethnic programs in, 
to to keep the students from having too much of a voice. So that's wow. so yeah. they killed the multi ethnic programs. Yeah, they they put in like a puppet puppet dictator who kind of oversaw the demise. They made us they censored everything. We couldn't everything we put in our meetings or events had to be pre approved by the school. Um, it it was. It was draconian. It, and then then when they all died, they just sort of made like a new organization. It wasn't called the multi-ethnic programs anymore. It was just like something else. So Yeah, like yeah. let's let's make these things so unfun and so unbearable that oh oh they're gone now. Um yeah. I guess we'll just guess have not, they don't want it anymore. So. I guess we'll I just have a multi-ethnic really... club that we run that no one ever yeah. attends and but we can yeah. say we have it. Well, I find it really fascinating because I was the campus pastor or the United Methodist denomination at UCI. And when I first got there, I'm walking around and meeting people. I'm really excited to meet people. I'm really excited to get to know the campus better. And Campus Crusade for Christ is there. And I had a very difficult moment when I realized the Campus Crusade, known as Crew, were, they were separated by ethnicity. And it was pitched originally as um, that way, kind of what you're saying, a safe space for, for Korean Christianity. But it was Wait. like, oh, we like different music than. <laughs> so the, they had like, yeah, like black crew, white crew, Asian uh, no, crew. Like. No, no, it was more country oh. of origin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense for the Koreans. The Koreans kind of are the one group that does not cater to whiteness in the evangelical no. culture. They no. make they, no. they made Christianity Korean. Oh yeah. And and it's kind of nuts. It's it's intense. It's, it's very it's intense. They got their own culture, their own theology, their own rules. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, when I was in I was in university. I we didn't have crew. And we we would try to bring all the Christian groups together. There's like Asian American Christian Fellowship and there's two Korean ones, and they have they wanted nothing to do with the rest. They really? Of us. That's funny. They're like, no, we'll pass. We're fine. Uh, nope. We got our own thing going here. Yeah. So that. yeah, the opposite thing it sounds like was happening where, um, and I, you know, I had studied in graduate school under uh, Dr. Willie Jennings Black Church Studies, and so at any moment I saw separation like that that was pitched like separate, so that we can really be ourselves. But then that meant there, by default, that means there was a white crew. (laughs) Guess which one didn't have a disclaimer? There was nothing that said American crew, right? Right. So what's the dominant one? And a lot of kids that were Korean, Japanese, or whatever, would come to the quote-unquote Caucasian crew. So it's just a very uncomfortable, I don't know what to do with that. It's just something that goes through my head all the time. Like, that feels really wrong. But as someone who I am an immigrant, um, I actually was an international student, according to my file when I, I didn't have my citizenship when I went to college and I would be invited to all these things. And it's just so hard to hear that when people were asking for that for themselves at uh, APU, they were denied it. Yeah. And fortunately for APU, not many were asking for it. <laughs> they just wanted to be with the white kids and, and fit in. And so... Yeah. Yeah. How how would like I think how would you navigate that with a student that that is that is telling you like hey like I kind of just want to be white I mean in so many words I mean yeah. I don't know that and anyone, they never would say I, it that starkly I, yeah, but, yeah it's not going to be said that starkly but it is the, the kind of vibe I just want to fit in like I I am not here to explore who I am or who my ancestors were or whatever like yeah they would say things like I don't need it mm-hmm. <laughs> which has a lot of layers to it. I remember one apostle apostle was the Asian club. We were talking about Lin Sanity, Jeremy Lin basketball. Okay. And how he was clearly the best player on every team he was on. You know, he was the high school player in a best high school player in America. Didn't get drafted by a single D one school goes to Harvard, leads Harvard to one of like their first championship ever doesn't get drafted by the NBA. So it's like, he's clearly the best player on the court. If you ask the players, if you ask, you know, the coaches and yet he's Asian. So they don't draft him. And the vibe. Yeah. He doesn't look like a basketball player as, as traditionally held. And so we were talking about this and this one kid 
throws his hands up. He's like, why are we even talking about this? How, you know, I don't even care. Who cares? And so in one of my lesser good moments, I kind of just, just him down. <laughs> I was like, it's like, you're going to be in a, you're going to have like a job interview someday and you better pray that the person interviewing you sees you as a full human being and not just as whatever the hell is their assumption is about Chinese American men, which he was Chinese American. And he just sort of looked at me like, whatever, you know, like, cause he's like, this doesn't affect me. It's like, well, it does. It will. It can. I feel like people who protest like that though, it's if I can deny it, then I don't have to admit that this is happening. Yeah. Because to admit, to admit it's happening it's is painful. to admit that there's like these systemic things in place that we have to address that are outside of the theology or the, the culture of Christianity. So. And it's going to happen. It could happen to me, right? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like women who got really upset about the Me Too movement. Mm. Like, yep. we don't need this. This is just, you know, now all these people are going to be accused of sexual yeah. assault that didn't do so it. So worried about the men. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. Right. I heard that a lot. And I know that sounds crazy to other folk, but I heard a lot. It was and, all over social media too. You saw the posts, you saw the arguments. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And the truth is, is it's like, they were so afraid they couldn't protect themselves that it was easier to act like they were outraged that someone would speak up about mm -hmm. it. And then, and then, yeah. and then the poor white men were, we're just mad at everything. Like, <laughs> because, because, it's so hard because to be any you. questions that come like that, that are entertained as valid, like the whole house of cards crumbles, you know? Yeah. And then, mm. and then, and the air quotes, we have nothing. Then. Like, it's just like, that's it's exhausting for everyone. I think white men in particular, because you have to maintain the construct. We're all caught up in it, I think. And, and so Not are to say that white people have, white men have it worse at all, but it's just like, I feel like <laughs> the, the anger just rises to the top. Like, and it is, it collects up there and congeals and it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not healthy. But y'all have allies in BIPOC yes. populations and in women. You know, yeah. what's, what's Tori, your other co-host, Tori always yeah. says women yeah. are like the, the foot soldiers of the patriarchy or yep. something. Absolutely. It's like, and yeah, and the, the BIPOC kids that come to evangelical schools are often the first to defend a, a white perspective because they want in, you know, they, they want at least proximity to it, to the privileges that are granted therein. Well, you bring up a good point. It's the proximity, right? It's um, can I be close to the thing of power? And how close am I is how acceptable I am. Yeah. So Scott, with all of this being kind of what you went through, some people would just like cut and run, but you wrote a book and you're talking about it on a podcast. So what, you know, what is it if someone, if you're not a person of faith, what is your hope in engaging this stuff? Because you don't sound angry. So it's not, you're not you're not going on a uh, going after folk. It doesn't sound like you're on a uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Revenge tour. Um, what? Why do you why do you engage this population still? What is your hope, even with the book? Yeah, at first I didn't want to, and and to to your other point, the APU probably feels like it's a revenge thing because it's you know no one likes to be criticized. Yeah, yeah. But so I deconstructed. When that term wasn't even around, I called it deprogramming, or I just, you know, cut and run, as you said. So I had a really nice between twenty, because I I think I realized I would I didn't believe in God even anymore when when Bush won re-election, two thousand four, bleeding edge. Yeah, deconstruction. I was like, oh man, this is where Christianity's going, you know. And I thought culturally, yeah. I'm done. Then even like the, the, for me, the theology fell apart then because I really dug in. I'm like, well, I'm going to figure this out and interrogate my faith. I'm going to talk to theologians and read the books. Yeah. And I just kind of read myself out of the faith. And so I had a really, so even though I was still teaching at APU, I was developing this community, not me developing. I was, I was be, becoming involved with a, a few other communities, which I talk about in the book. And then when, and then when I left APU, it was just like a sigh of relief in some ways, like, that's I don't have a single connection now to evangelical culture. And it was so great. Yeah. <laughs> 2003 or 13, 2013 to to when Trump got elected was like this beautiful three year period where I just lived my life. I was raising my kids. I was playing music in bands. I was active in our community. 
It was great. I didn't, I barely thought about it. Once in a while, I would get together with an old church friend and we would like laugh about how much fun we didn't have in high school and college because of Christianity. <laughs> but that was about it. Do you remember those days when we weren't having fun? <laughs> we were just drinking milk on a Friday night. Oh, man. Sometimes we drank soda <laughs> and, yeah. on the Wilder nights. Sitting around playing worship music. Sometimes. Do you remember those? Mountain Dews. I drank two sometimes. Got pretty hopped up on that caffeine. Yeah. yeah, sitting around with my guitar playing worship songs. That was a pretty wild Friday night, you know? So, so yeah, those, then Trump's elected, and it's the Christians. And it's just like, man, I know these people. <laughs> I know, like, the, the world is still giving Christians a pass, you know, as, as, a, as a voting block, as, a, as family values, whatever that means. And it's like, man, someone should say something. <laughs> Yeah, eighty some um, percent of white evangelicals. Yeah, the first but, time, and then more the second then, time. Yeah, yeah, it, it, the co- the cohort grew, and and you know, and I wasn't surprised because because I had worked with those people for fifteen years. It did not surprise me that they voted for Trump. It disappointed me, but it was not surprising because I had seen this development when I started at APU in nineteen ninety eight. It was a very white friendly place, very innocently Christian. The rise of Fox News, the Bush years, the Tea Party, Obama's election really sort of galvanized the school into this angry, you know, conservative place. So, yeah, I was I was out. I was good. I'm, I don't need this anymore. And then I thought I told Blake Chastain, I thought I invented the evangelical um, word because it just came to me one night mm-hmm. and I looked it up and like, oh, no, there's a guy named Blake Chastain who... Uh. It's a big thing. He's he's already been interviewed. <laughs> that guy, he's not he's not wonderful, and we don't yeah, love I him. I know. I love the guy so much. I, uh, we, I he was yeah. so great. <laughs> um, shout out to to Blake. So, um, I th- well, I, I felt like man, I have things to say. I know I grew up in this. I know these people. I know what they're about. I know what the values are. I can speak their language. I'm, it's like riding a bike. You can you can you can start talking that way. Actually, I don't talk that, but I understand it. And so. You know, well, I, I was I had been writing this book, which I wasn't sure what to do with it. Cause I, like I said, I didn't want to just write a hit piece about the school because it just sounds like a disgruntled employee. So it it kind of helped me. The whole movement kind of helped me f- shape my identity in that respect. Of like, I don't want to be like I don't ever want to be just an evangelical. You know, like it's weird to define yourself as something you're not anymore. We talk about that all the time. That is literally, I, that's not generative and it's not interesting to me. Yeah, it, there's interesting parts to it and, and it's part of who we are, but it's, it, should, it shouldn't be the whole. <laughs> it shouldn't be, this is what I am. I think it's a, a great identity to latch on to early on in your yeah. deconstruction. Like, this is what I'm not anymore. For sure. And that's, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. Like, I am not, right, whatever. And there's there's a phase of that but i think after i don't know i'll do the pete holmes things i'll give you three years like i think there's a pete <laughs> holmes bit where he's like you can deconstruct for three years like that's yeah. and then then pick like yeah like yeah. you don't you don't get to like be something forever and, and some of us stick around in these spaces to try to help people along through that process but exactly. I, think, I think it's i think at a certain point you're like okay i am whatever i am all right, I'm, I'm stepping into something, uh, some kind of identity that's not just defined by what it's not. Yeah, and I'll say this: I don't have the same harm done to me that a lot of women experience. So, I think there's probably different degrees of severity of the the, the fallout when you deconstruct. So, mine was a nice, gentle kind of by myself and my wife. Thank goodness we both sort of deconstructed out of Christianity together. Uh, and pulled our kids with us, and your kids, but, you know, some your kids people are just a, a, a delight. I oh. I have to say, like, oh, it, yeah, we we were partying well, well with my done. kids over the weekend. Um, they're old now, so, but yeah, some people, it you know, realize how much damage has been done to them and how much hurt that they have absorbed, and you know, maybe it's we'll give them four years for that because. Mm-hmm. That shit's rough, man. Like, like, I don't, I, yeah. When I, on my, when I do chapel probation, sometimes someone tells me a story about what they went through. And it's just like, man, I had it pretty good. Um, and even, and even that was shitty, but that I did not have to deal with that. You know, I did not have to deal with these other things. And so I'm sensitive to it. 
And I think I have to, we have to admit that there will always be the comparison of life before and life after faith. It just is like we just had Easter and every, but for me, every Sunday I wake up happy because I don't have to go to church (laughs) and it's a wonderful thing. Like it's Sunday. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to get the kids out of bed and I don't have to get everybody in the car and let's get there by nine o'clock. And it's just, no, I can do whatever I want to. So there's a positive aspect of being evangelical in the sense that we've lived this sort of not great, fulfilling life and now we can and so you i think we'll always be appreciative of that of of the the contrast and so in that sense it's a positive identification i don't know that i could go back to giving up sunday regularly yeah. i could i could maybe do a thursday night i could i could probably squeeze that in but <laughs> you guys are hilarious i mean it is I mean, and then it is something, right? There is, it's a nice thing to be like, I went on a hike yesterday and everyone's like, yeah, this is why you continue to be sick. But I went on a hike yesterday and um, I, I recognized that like, I was just walking around and smiling and thinking, man, it's so cool that I get to be part of this community of people who hike. We're getting ready to do a really big hike. We're doing Mount Whitney. Whoa, it was beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, yesterday was beautiful. And all of a sudden I had this, <laughs> it struck me like, Oh, I never could be part of this before. I never had weekends before. Right. I didn't even have Saturdays really because I was always preparing for what was coming on Sunday. And I think about, yeah, just sort of like, oh, I missed out on so much. And yet, and for me, I didn't leave under difficult circumstances necessarily. So I'm not, in some ways, I'm not in the same boat, but I, I just so appreciate having a weekend. And that doesn't make sense to anyone. <laughs> who's never, who's always had a weekend. Like there, there, there are times I almost feel like someone coming, you know, like they, when they explain things to aliens, like this is how I'll say to my friends, like, man, this is like so great. And they're like, yeah, this is like adult life. Like what what else would it be? Yeah. This is just Sunday, Sarah. And you're having a pancake. Like, (laughs) like, calm down. Um, But for me, right. I had, I was, I think I burned out because I never had a downtime. Everything was like, there's no cycle. And yeah, because you have a day off on is. Mondays, kind of, but you're also kind but, of maybe I had Fridays, but then I was still worried and Saturday supposedly, but there was always like events because yeah. that's when your people are yeah. available and you just kind of kept putting off, taking time off. I say all that to say, I totally understand the Sunday vibe and how great it is and the time that you have here with kids, but then also the realization, like this is a population that I understand and know. And so maybe it's a population that I can speak into both to help people heal from what they participated in, who they might've thought they needed to be, and also just to be able to share in that. I think it's great to hear that you're sharing from that. What sounds like a way more healed place than a lot of folks do. And you're getting a chance to sort of maybe laugh at some of the ways that you are, that are quirky, that only makes sense to people who are like super church people, right? Yeah, it's embarrassing sometimes. I think back. Yeah, I, I, that is, can we talk about that a little bit? Like, that's one thing I have not, like, quite gotten over is in some ways, like, in sharing experiences with people, like, even just simple things, like, you know, when was your first drink? Or, you know, like, actually, I'm not, not until I was well into my 20s, you know, like, or just like little mm-hmm. quirky things like that, that I, I still feel this, like, twinge of embarrassment about. And there's other stuff too, but it's like, yeah, I, you feel like I didn't have really a life. Cause I was like, I was, I was a soldier in God's army, you know, like, like from birth and, and, and my mother doesn't like to say that, but it's like, it's, sorry, mom, it's not really your fault. It's just, this is the system I was born in, you know? And it's, so it's like, it's like this, there, there is that kind of embarrassment that I'm still working through myself that like, eh, yeah, um, I, I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed by that essential piece of my childhood yeah and then when you tell your kids about it when they're teenagers they just make fun of you yeah so there's <laughs> oh. that there's dad tell us about the time you were a total christian nerd in college and you know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing too is that there's also this the sense of shared like understanding i think like the number of times i've tried to explain purity culture Oof. um I, I shared with justin that my therapist came in and i was like hey i looked up purity culture and she literally said what the fuck <laughs> she was like you know that's like 
terrible. I'm like, yeah, no, I think a lot of people are aware it's terrible. She's like, no, no, I mean like traumatizing. Yeah, and I'm like, damaging. again, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we know. Yeah. Our other, our ther- other therapists are aware <laughs> that it was yeah. trauma. Yeah. And then she started reading some of those great therapists. But I just think there is, um, yeah, there's such a, a sense of at least you understand my quirks. Trying to explain to some of my friends that never had the church experience, uh, explaining to them why, uh, even when I know certain things shouldn't make me feel a certain way, um, or maybe even understanding why certain things make me feel nostalgic, um, I don't have to explain myself. And I think there is beauty. It's almost like what you were trying to do um, for the Asian students is like a place where you can say something and there is a, a set uh, moment of like, yeah, I get what you're talking about. And I think it's so hard for those of us who exist kind of outside of standard Christian practice in some ways. Yeah. And then also, but we aren't, we're not full, we're not fully in the world, friends, because we do have that past. Because there's a reason why your kids are laughing at you, Scott, because it's alien to them. Yeah. Those lucky bastards. <laughs> I, my kids have it good. I, I have one yeah. to say. Like, it's, yeah. Because it, not only, like, do they not have it, but they have a parent that knows how to avoid it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah, I remember my one of my kids was talking to me and they were asking me like about my religion as a kid. I was like, yeah, I believe in God. Kind of like, like well, well, what else? I was like, well, no, that was it. That was kind of the, the option that was presented. And you know, that was just kind of like that or, you know, nothing. Yeah. And she's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> like it sucks Fair. to be you, Dad. Yeah. I'm like, man, yeah. wow. You you really were deprived. I'm like, yeah. and she's like ten. <laughs> like and she sees yeah. that and kind of in the and yeah, like yeah. I and sure the mockery will only intensify as she gets older. It's just like It's coming. Yeah. Oh yeah, it probably is. But I but I also there is a part of me. There's there's like a sadness, I think, for me too. Like mm. that that I'm giving to my kids what probably I I didn't have or or just that my parents didn't have the capacity or experience or understanding to give. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, sure. be, I'll be fair there. So I'm, I'm grateful that I have that and I'm able to give that to them. But also there's, there's that constant like embarrassment, guilt, like whatever that like, yeah, but I only have this one life and a very large chunk of it was taken up by this traumatic nonsense. Well, you're here now. So. Yeah, I'm here now. I mean, my, my youngest kid, he's 16 now. It was last year. He was, he came in while I was editing a chapel probation episode and we were listening to someone tell a story. And then I told the story. And as I stopped, he he said, man, dad, thank you for not making me go to church. Oh, it was like a nice moment. It was like, yeah, I wouldn't have done that too, pal. It's um, knowing what I know now, like you're, you're lucky. Cause if I, if I hadn't deconstructed, you would have been growing up and all that. So. Yeah. And I would have thought I was caring for you by doing right. so. And, you know, mm. someone like me who comes from a church that isn't necessarily harmful, you can argue about that or not. I come from United Methodist yeah, background. Yeah. There's some parts of it that are harmful. Yeah. There's some parts, some parts of it. Anyway, all that to say, you know, I, some kids are learning social justice mm. in the church yeah. hall. Some kids are learning LGBTQIA yeah. inclusion in the church yeah. space. So I think when you, you think you're doing the right thing, so it's hard, too, because I think a lot of my friends are going through, they left their toxic churches, yeah. and they don't feel like going to any church, but they're wondering what to do with their kids. And that's a hard fit. Because they're like, I want my kid to have some experience, but I don't want it to be a damaging experience, so what do I do? Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's plenty of activities for the kids to be involved in. You know, Church of Satan comes to mind. Um, uh, they they, they are nice. Yeah. They, the, there's there's a couple of different branches, right? There's the social justice one, but yeah, no, no, I was just kidding about the same thing. Any, I, I, yeah, is it's like finding helping your kids find their own identity and their own vibe and their community and their people. So it can happen, you know, outside of church, and that's what we who grew up there have a hard time even imagining. And so, but it's out there. It's yeah. it's good. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for sharing with us, for coming on. Your book and your story are, I think, think something that people can relate to. Scott, if you can't tell, is freaking hilarious. So make sure you check out his podcast. 
um, and lots of episodes around it. Guys, is there anything else you want to kind of close out with or anything you want us to know other than, you know, how to understand using the word fuck, how to speak Yeah, if anyone has grammar, grammar questions, I'm not proud proud of it. Grammar is really a, a pretty not good thing. It doesn't make any sense. We were talking about this over the weekend with Justin. So, yeah, uh, check out Chapel Probation if you want to hear more stories of people surviving Christian colleges. I would love to have both of you on because I, I have people. Yeah, we love it. People talk about not going to Christian colleges <laughs> and com- and comparing and contrasting. Um, and my book is out now, Asian American Apostate, yes. in wherever books are sold. I just I just read a hilarious one star review that is that the someone, one on Amazon. I have it yeah. pulled up. Yeah. Can we read that? Can we read the hilarious one star uh, yeah, review? Scott's okay. That'd with be a it. great yeah. closing. I think I disappointed someone very hard. He wrote, I have not deconstructed after reading, having read this book. And I didn't realize that's why I was writing it. So I failed. Um, I also have not been exposed to the same cultural dynamics as author. I, however, did find his arguments, did not find his arguments convincing, since I believe he made the error of not taking the total context of the Bible and Christianity as contained in all the books of the Bible, starting from Genesis, as we do, into consideration. So uh, he really raked me over the coals on my. Oh, man. Exegesis. You got a real, got a real um, scholar here. Yeah. Um, I, here's call, call here's me, my question. Call me corrected. It's the circular argument that gets me. I see a lot of these like things on Instagram when someone will say, we know Jesus is the son of God yes. because it's in the yeah, Bible. Yeah, it says so. And it's like. Uh, and we know it's the word of God because it so. it's in the Bible. Yeah, there's like, Just ask and you're like, however many prophecies uh, that, that point to Jesus in the Bible. We know Scott is an apostate because yeah. it's in the Bible. Yeah. Well, it's on my book. <laughs> yeah. that looks, my book looks like yeah. a Bible. We, it, we designed it, it, it to I, look yeah, like a Bible. Cool I looking. really do love that aesthetic. So definitely buy Scott's book, but also give it a five-star review. Um, I'm just going to say that's the only review he's accepting at this point, unless you write well, a hilarious one-star review. Um, yeah, I, I was going to suggest that. Just, just, <laughs> I'm all for I it. love, I, apparently, friends, if you go on Amazon, the best reviews are Bic came out with a pen designed for women. Mm. Oh. And apparently the reviews are hilarious, where it's like, now I know what to do with my hands <laughs> and like things like that. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you guys. This yeah. has been such a wonderful Thanks time. Totally yeah. worth getting out of my deathbed. No, I, I love love you guys. It's just keep keep doing yeah, what you're I love doing. You too, Scott, you're amazing. And next time uh, you have a book launch, I'll try not to have the I plague know, or missed, tuberculosis or consumption. You missed the partying. So I did. But yeah, I did. What a we'll bummer. Do it again. Well, you don't have to miss the party, friends. Go buy the book. Go listen to the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show, as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out at www.patreon.com revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Friends, once again, thank you for listening to another episode of RevCovery. We hope that you found it to be an interesting conversation. And thank you for sticking around and listening to my terrible voice while I continue to heal from whatever sickness it is that has decided to take my voice away. Friends, as I listened to the episode and actually thought through the conversation, I realized just how many of us feel like we are outside of the norm. I'm thinking of all the students that encountered Scott when they were at school and Scott himself as he was teaching at APU. So I thought about a conversation I heard with Kumail Nanjiani. And if you don't know who that is, wonderful comedian, um, Pakistani American. And he said this, being a fish out of water is tough, but that's how you evolve. Sometimes I think we, uh, it's hard to feel like we're outside of the norm, but it was a great reminder 
that being outside of the norm is how we create space for ourselves and others. So friends, thanks again for listening to this episode of Recovery, and we look forward to talking to you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.